0: Now I would like to um, invite everybody to prepare their hearts to hear God's word and open your Bible, please, to John chapter 12, and Heather's going to read for us this morning. Good morning. This is God's word. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, "'Sir, we wish to see Jesus.' If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him.
1: Amen. Thanks, Heather. I didn't know you were doing the scripture reading and your husband leading music. It's like a Jacobo family uh, service, which you just got to get your kids involved next. So good job. Good morning, church family. How are you? it's good. My name's Aaron. If you're new, I'm one of the pastors. Really glad to see you. Glad to have you here with us. We are going through the Gospel of John together as a church family. Uh, This is kind of our second year, more or less the school year, of going through this uh, incredible gospel and looking at the life of Jesus and the purpose of this book. John tells us he wrote this gospel so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, we may find life in his name. And my sincere conviction is that there is life for us today. If we will open our hearts to the challenging, but also uh, very encouraging words of Jesus today. As you can see from the scripture reading, the title of the sermon, uh, we're going to talk about something that's really easy to say, really hard to do. To lose our lives in order to truly gain the life that God has for us. And so I'm going to invite you to join with me in prayer as we get started. Uh, Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? And I want to ask God to do the work that only he can do, because let me just just say this. The most well-prepared and delivered sermon won't do anything if God doesn't show up and work in our hearts. Amen? That's what I believe, so I'd like to ask if we could just pray. God, we need you today. I need you. We all need you. God, we, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to be present with us now in a, a real and a tangible way. God, I ask that you would help us to lower down any guards or defenses that we may have and that we would really be open to your Spirit doing the work that he wants to do in our hearts and our lives today. God, we, we come to you uh, acknowledging that we often try to grasp at our lives Uh, And instead, God, your your call is for us to lose our lives in order to gain the life that you have for us. And so help us to do that even now in this time. God, I pray that my words would be truthful and they would be helpful. And I pray that our time today would serve Jesus, our King, and bring him honor and glory. It's in his name we pray, amen. Gonna divide the generations here a little bit to start with, which is always a dangerous way to start the sermon. How many of you ever heard of a show, a TV show, called This Is Your Life? Anybody? Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't mean to cause division here, but it ran in the 1950s, okay? Uh, I first learned about it as a child because I think they did a spoof of it on The Muppet Show. That's where I first heard of This Is Your Life. If you're not familiar with the show, the premise is this, they would pull somebody out of the audience and they would bring out photos and they would have teachers and parents and you know the neighborhood milkman and they would all kind of get up and they would do this like telling of this person's life. And they weren't, they weren't like airing all their dirty laundry. They used to, you know, they would try to make it be in a way that was upbuilding and and inspiring for people. And hopefully, it almost, it almost kind of felt like a living eulogy. You know, eulogy means good words, right? So they're, you're kind of doing a good word about this person in front of everybody. Uh, There were a few, they they would often do it to famous people, celebrities. There were a few I read about over the years who got pretty offended that they were, their life was put on display that way in front of people. And in fact, I also learned that the the guy who was the host was named Ralph Edwards words, he had a rule that if anyone ever tried to pull a, this is your life on him, they would be fired and probably thrown into the ocean or something. But here's the, here's the thought. What if we did that today? What if I just pulled somebody kind of out of the audience at random and surprised you? We had your second grade teacher here. We had your uncle and your auntie, and we found a bunch of photos. Now you're all starting to get real nervous, aren't you? Hector, it's you. Sorry, okay? Just kidding. We're not going to actually do that. But if we were to pull you out and say, okay, let's just really look at, at your life. What are the choices you've made? What are the things you've invested in? What, what would we all walk away saying, this is your life. This is what defines your life. What's important to you? What's valuable to you? How, how would you know that your life up to this point has really mattered? I don't don't think we just want our life to be enjoyable. We want our life to matter. Would you agree? And this passage we're going to look at today, it brings up these questions and it brings up some other big related questions like, am am I acceptable? Will I be accepted or will I be rejected? It brings up questions like, like, am am I enough? Is my life enough? Do I have value? Does my life have worth? And it really seeks to answer this question, how do I know that my life matters? What defines my life? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delay the big idea for a little while because I want to just start by asking questions. So if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. John chapter 12, starting in verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. We have some Bibles we'd love to give to you. If you don't own a Bible, let us give you one. That would be our gift to you. All right, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Pause. Which feast is this? Passover. Good job. If you remember from the last few weeks, it's the feast of Passover. People are coming from all around the nation of Israel to Jerusalem for this big festival, this big celebration. It's kind of the high water mark uh, of of the Jewish year. And you'll remember last week, the verse that I ended on, verse 19, the Pharisees were grumbling because everyone is just Go and for Jesus. They're, they're, they're rushing out. They're waving palm branches. And the Pharisees said, look, we've gained nothing. We, we haven't stopped Jesus. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So this is incredible. Before we even get even too far into this, I want to say something that, that the message of Jesus came through a specific people group, the people of the Jews. That God chose a man named Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give an incredible inheritance and through your offspring, I will bless all of the nations of the earth. If you are here today and you're not a Jewish person, would you please raise your hand? We have been grafted into the family of Abraham through the work of Jesus Christ. And I mentioned that specifically. I, this is not in my notes, but I, I just couldn't let it go past this morning as I'm reading about these horrific attacks that came out of, uh, of, of the Pennsylvania where uh, someone with anti-Semitic uh, hatred of Jews went in and opened fire and, and killed Jewish men and women. All hatred has no place in the hearts of the followers of Jesus but there is a particular type of hatred against the Jews because God has set a special love and affection in his plan for salvation that it has come through a Jewish Messiah and 12 Jewish followers who so then went out into the rest of the world and all of us who are Gentile believers, we've been grafted into the family of Abraham by God's incredible grace. And friends, we need to love and we need to protect and we need to lift up the Jewish people, even those who do not believe that Jesus is their Messiah, especially those who do not know Jesus as their Messiah, because I believe the Bible is clear that there are promises yet to be fulfilled in the people, the offspring of Abraham, that will come about as we get closer to the return of Jesus, but that Jesus is for the Jewish people. And we who are Gentile Christians and Gentile believers have an opportunity to stand with and to mourn with and to pray for and to even share the love of Jesus with our Jewish friends and neighbors and colleagues. Amen? So forgive me for going off script. You knew it was going to happen at some point in the sermon. I just get it out of the way early. I'm kidding. I'll still go off script later too. But among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, not Jew, not. Greek-speaking Jews, but Gentile. Greek just kind of means, it's a, it's a word that means Gentile. Somebody who's not Jewish. The whole world spoke Greek because Alexander the Great had conquered the whole world. And even when the Romans eventually took over the whole world from them, they all still spoke Greek. It was the language of the day. So these came to Philip. Oh, Philip, that's a good Greek name. That's not a Jewish name. This guy's got a, Jew, a Greek name. Maybe we can talk to him. But then They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Well, he's a Jewish guy, but he's got a Greek name. So God's using Philip as a link to the Gentile world. They went to Philip and asked him, probably in Greek, Sir, we wish to, what's the verb there? See. Jesus. Oh, John doesn't waste words. Amen. Our author, he he doesn't waste words. He says that word see very intentionally. We don't want to just meet with Jesus. We don't just want to have a conversation with him. We wish to see Jesus. So Philip, this link to the Gentile world, these these outsiders, they want in. These people who are not Jewish people, they're already going out on a limb to go to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now they really want to go in. They really want let into the inner circle. This guy, Jesus is amazing. He's, he's healing people. We heard he even raised a guy from the dead. We wish to see Jesus. Philip, do you think you could make that happen for us? Our Greek named Jewish brother, could you please get us in? So Philip goes, not to Jesus. <laughs> He went and told Andrew. Why would he do that? We don't ultimately know. It's a little bit of speculation. Philip is the one, if you remember all the way back in chapter one, Philip is the one that when he first heard about Jesus, he ran and got Nathaniel. Come and see, come and see. So maybe Philip is just a really relational guy and he always wants to have a friend with him. But I think that the context gives us a clue that this is an unusual request. He's not entirely sure how Jesus is going to respond. Hey, uh, Jesus, I know we're here for this like ultra Jewish festival, Passover, you know, when the nation of Israel was born out of slavery in Egypt. And, And also we know that we just had this really ultra Jewish like palm branches. People were quoting Psalms and you were riding on a donkey from like, you know, the Jewish prophet Zechariah. Like it's pretty, it's pretty Jewish up in here. It's, it's in the text. You have to study hard. But it's, it's there. But Jesus, there's these Greek outsiders who have asked to see you. How will Jesus respond? Are we going to get the, yes, come talk to me, Jesus? Are we going to get the, maybe an angry rebuke, something they weren't thinking of? Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Ah, we get cryptic, wise saying, Sage Jesus one of my favorite types of Jesus that we see, I, mm, I just, I can imagine like Philip, like this, okay, I know he means something by this. What am I supposed to hear right now? Like I, it was a, it was a pretty straightforward question. Like there's these guys, they're not Jewish. They want to see you. Is that Okay. And, and now the hour has come. I'm going to read from a commentator, Rodney Whitaker, because I'm going to read a longer quotation because I think he's really helpful in showing just how profound this answer is. I think he says it better than I could. Listen listen to what Whitaker says. He says this. Quite often, Jesus has responded to questions and situations with cryptic sayings, and this is no exception. When Andrew and Philip announce the coming of the Greeks, something wondrous happens. It triggers the moment the reader has been anticipating since the story began. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Pause. You guys remember, as we've been reading through the Gospel of John, Jesus keeps saying, it's not my time. It's not my time. The hour's not here. No, I can't go up to Jerusalem yet. It's not yet the hour. All of that anticipation and boom, we just hit the trigger, the the turn point, the pivot moment in the story. The hour has come. As with all his cryptic sayings, his response addresses the issue, but it does so in ways incomprehensible at the time. He does not speak directly to the Greeks, but he speaks of their place in his community in the future. For he reveals that it is time for his death to take place, through which a great crop will be produced as he draws all men to himself. Thus, verse 24 answers the Greeks indirectly, for through his death, he will become accessible for them as exalted Lord. Jesus is saying, yes, I want the Greeks. I want the Gentiles. I want the people from the ends of the earth to come through me, but it's going to come through my glorification. It's going to come through my death and my resurrection and my exaltation to the right hand of the Father in heaven. These guys could have a conversation for five minutes with me right now or they can wait and see because after my death and resurrection, all are going to have unlimited access to me through the cross. Through the cross. Friends, how do we get to God? It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. How are we who are, who are Greeks? How do, we, how do we come to Jesus? Through the cross. These outsiders want in. Jesus says, yeah, it's going to come through my death and my resurrection. Let me ask you this question. I wonder how, I wonder how we don't really get the story. I'm going to keep reading through the passage. You're going to see we don't really get any resolution. We don't get any indication that the Greeks went away unhappy that Jesus didn't answer their request to see them. We didn't, they went away rejoicing. We just, it just kind of trails off. John, this is funny. The Bible doesn't often answer the questions that we wish it would answer. John has a different point. He's telling us the story of Jesus, not the story of us. And the point here is Jesus says, now is the time for my death and my resurrection. But do you think, just for a moment, put yourself in the shoes of these, of these Greeks. How are they feeling in that moment? Nervous, insecure? We're gonna go ask this, this, this man who people are saying is the son of God? We're gonna go ask him for an audience, for an opportunity, for a conversation? How did they feel? Outsiders wanting to be let in. How many of you have ever had that feeling and that experience of going into a new situation and just that fear, will I be accepted? Anybody here? Almost everybody. That question, will I be accepted, is one of the biggest questions that we all deal with. And even for somebody, you know, for myself I'm not not a nervous person. I like new social situations. I I like meeting new people. Um, But even for someone like me who's kind of more naturally outgoing, I, I struggle with that feeling all the time. I was talking with somebody recently, a member of our church, a friend of mine, who just switched jobs after almost two decades, going from one job that they've known into a completely new job, a new environment. <gasps> Am I gonna be accepted? I talked to somebody earlier this week who went on a first date with someone. Will I be accepted? Talk to a kid who's new to a school, new to a class. Will I be accepted? What about with God? Will I be accepted by God? Will he love me? Will he reject me? Oh, by the way, you know what comes into play whenever we start talking about this question of will I be accepted? It's what if they knew my stuff? You all know what stuff is? Anybody here have some stuff? Stuff. I was talking with some people from our church just last night and they were saying the first time they ever came to a church, it's like, ah, I got to feel these people out. Are they going to love me? Are they going to accept me? What if I put my cards on the table? What if I show, what if they find out about my stuff? Boy, are are we fearful when that gets put on the table. Here's the reality. If God really is who he says he is and he knows all things, then God already knows about our stuff. And I'll even go so far as to say, God knows your stuff better than you know your stuff because you're like, yeah, I've got some sins in my life. You know, there's probably like, I don't know, more than let's say 20 sins or something, right? But then you're like, oh, but God, <laughs> like God knows a lot more about your stuff. And, and then the question is, will he accept me? 20, yeah, maybe 20. Right? I meant like before you got here to church this morning, right? So like, <laughs> okay, now you're faced with a choice. Will I be accepted by God. I'm an outsider. I want in. I know I got stuff. I know I got issues. There ain't no perfect people in here, but, but how do I come to God? How do I come to him? How do I, how do I ask and knock and say, will I be let in? Could I, could I see Jesus please? You got two options. The first option is religion. I will clean up my stuff. I will try to get rid of as much of it as I can, The stuff that still remains, I'll I'll dress it up to look pretty or at least I'll find some other people to hang around who've got more stuff so that mine doesn't look so bad by comparison. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do all the right things as best as I can. And at the end of the day, I'm going to hope that the scales balance out. I've done more good stuff than I've done bad stuff. You have that option. The problem is with that approach is that God's standard is perfection. You want to come in to see God? No stuff. So then we have to reckon with the option that Jesus sets before us. Or, Jesus says, you could trust in my death and my resurrection. You could trust that when I die on the cross and I scream out with a loud voice, it is finished, I mean it. And you can come to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you stand in front of the empty tomb, your jaw hanging open. How could it be that God loves me and God accepts me when I have all this stuff and God says, I love you and I accept you based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Come on in. That's your other option. And can I admit to you even though I've known the gospel since a young age, even though I've followed Jesus for basically my entire life, oh boy, do I still fall back into that pattern of religion. I do it with God. I do it with people. Anybody with me? This is church, be honest, okay? Oh, I got to prove myself. I've got to earn their love. I've got to earn their respect. I've got to earn their acceptance. Oh God, I've, I've messed up. Maybe I'll just do enough good deeds and I could get rid of this feeling of guilt as though you could pay for something that Jesus already paid for with his blood. Will you be accepted? If you're in Christ, the answer is yes. And dare I say, it's not a begrudging acceptance. It is not a like, well, okay, I guess. It is God saying, let me give you my very best. Let me give you my one and only unique in all of creation, son. Let him spill his blood for you. Let his body go into the ground and die. Let him be your righteousness. Talk about some good news, friends. Will you be accepted? Yeah. The cross says yes. By the way, this is a side note. I think my sermons are all just basically a series of side notes to go out there, but here's here's a thought for you. Don't base whether God loves you or not on something that changes. If you just got a new job and it comes with financial blessing, wow, I feel so blessed, God really loves me. Yes, He does. But if that job went away and if all the money dried up, God still loves you. Because your good day, your bad day, your good week, your bad month, your bad decade does not change the cross. It's still there. It's still there. Don't, I, I'm not saying to... uh to miss out on rejoicing when God blesses you, that's wonderful. You've got health. You've got a new friend. You've got a new job. God did something amazing for you. Praise God. Yes, he does love you. He lets us feel his love in a million ways every day of the week, but don't make any of those things your foundation. Our foundation is the cross of Jesus Christ. Does God love me? I checked. The cross, is still it still happened. Yep. God still loves me. God still accepts me. Let's keep going. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, This is, I love this about Jesus, by the way, because we see this phrase and it just kind of dawned on me. So um, the way it worked with Jewish rabbis is a a rabbi would come, they would teach, and then it was the job of the elders of the synagogue to stand up at the end and say, that was true. Truly, truly, amen, amen. Jesus walks up and goes, amen, amen, I tell you. (laughs) This is why the people say he taught with authority. This is why he was different than other rabbis. He didn't wait for anybody else's approval. He just walked up and says, listen, y'all. Actually, he was from the north. He wouldn't have said that. But the the point is, Jesus is speaking with authority. And by the way, this is still his answer to to Philip and Andrew's request for the Greeks. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Pause. Pause. How is this still answering that question? I think there's, I mean, he's using a universal principle to teach a very specific principle. The universal principle is you've got one seed, right? Let's say you want to plant, you know, whatever, tomatoes. You've got that one seed. That's great. It's precious. You love it. If you do not lose it, you don't put it in the ground and let it die, it won't sprout up and bring more fruit. That's just a general principle of life. Jesus is saying, these men want access to me. The way I'm going to give them all access is I have to die. My body is going to go into the ground like a seed and be planted. And when I burst back forth, I'm going to bring the fruit of life for everyone who believes. So he's using a general principle to teach a specific principle. And then he even goes one step farther. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world, wow, strong language, hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Okay. Uh, okay, parents, let me, I need your help on this part, okay? How are we gonna get life? How are we gonna get what we need? Okay, you ever seen kids? I could walk into a, a, a room full of kids. Kids, if you're in the room, we love you. I'm not, I don't mean to thank you, Delaney. That's my daughter. You have to love me, right? Uh, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I just want you to invite it into this story, okay? Walk into a classroom. I say, hey, kids, I have cookies. I know. I've got... <laughs> cookies is Delaney's love language. I have enough cookies for everyone. No one will go without. I, I promise you, I guarantee every single one of you will get a cookie. What are the children going to do, parents? <laughs> They're going to mob you. Thank you. They're they're going to fight. They're going to clamor. They're going to, me first. It's like I just guaranteed you that everyone would get a cookie. But there's something in the fallen human condition where we say, ah, I got to grasp. I got to get. I've got to have it. Children, can I tell you a secret? As your parents and other grownups in your life get older, they still do that. They just get better at hiding it. A little more sophisticated. Although, you heard of Black Friday? <laughs> Thanksgiving's coming up, right? Like sometimes not too sophisticated. There's something in our fallen human condition where the thing that we think, the way that we're going to get life, the way that we're going to get satisfaction, the way that we're going to get happiness is to grab and to take and to have and to hold and to hoard and to more, mine, me first, can I get a sorrowful amen from anybody in the church today, right? We do this, and we feel like this is how we're going to gain life. We feel like if we could just grab, if we could just grasp a little bit tighter, but the problem is, how many of you know that the tighter we grab for things, the less satisfying they are? I can't help but think of that great theologian, Princess Leia, that said, the more you tighten your grip, the more star systems will slip through your fingers, right? Right? Oh, come on. That was was for Josh, yeah. We grasp for things. But Jesus said, look, you want to really get life? You really, truly want to know that your life matters, that your life's important, that everything everything your heart desires you can have, you got to just hate your life. What do you mean, Jesus? Like, your life in this world, just, just get rid of it. Give it away. Spend it. If you and I walked into a coffee shop together, we both got our coffees, we walked outside, and I took one sip, took the lid off, just poured it on the ground, what would you say? Oh, you didn't you didn't like it? Was it bad? You hated it? Jesus is saying, the way my followers are gonna gain life is they're gonna give their lives away in such a way that other people around them in the world they don't get it. Why would you do that? Why would you give that much money to someone? Why would you spend that much time on why would you, why would you, why would you, why would that's what Jesus is saying? If you do that, you're gonna keep your life for eternity. By the way, is this this a pleasant, always pleasant proposition that Jesus is saying? No. Dying is a really unpleasant business. Jesus is saying, you really want that life? It's not going to come through clutching. It's not going to come through grabbing. It's not going to come through getting more stuff or more experiences or moving from relationship to relationship or just gathering all of the whatever it is, whatever it is that makes you tick. You're not going to gain your life by gathering it. You're going to gain your life by giving your life away. I'm going to come back to this again because uh, we, we, we need to answer one more question to help us know how to do that but I'll just leave it at this for now. Do you want your life to matter? Do you want your life to have something of importance and significance? Jesus says, give it away. Finishing up in verse 26, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also. Jesus says it's, there's inseparability between being a follower of Jesus and being a servant of Jesus. You can't follow Jesus and not serve him. You can't serve Jesus and not follow him. Where I'm going, you're going with me. We're going to do the same stuff. We're going to be together. For some of you, let me issue a challenge. You have, you have followed Jesus, but you have not served Jesus. You have wanted to taste of the benefits of the gospel. You've, you've sang the songs, my, my soul knows sweet salvation, but, but Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm asking you to serve, to give, to, to follow me as I serve the world. Christ is serving the world through you and I. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. At least it's at least part of what it means to be the body of Christ, that we're going to go into the world, we're going to go into other people's lives, and we're going to serve them the way that Jesus served us. So for some of you, it's time to, to get off the bench. Yes, I'm glad that you've received the gospel. Praise Jesus, you've received salvation. Are you pouring out your life in service of others? But then here's this question, that he, he, maybe we didn't even know we were asking, but he answers it. He says, if anyone serves me, The father will honor him. You can, uh, you can underline words like that. The father will honor him. I looked up that word honor, and it has to do, the root word underneath, it has to do with monetary value. In fact, it's the same word that's used when it says that Judas betrayed Jesus for do you got how many pieces of silver? Bible, Bible quiz time. 30 pieces of silver. That was how much Jesus was worth to Judas. That was his honoring of him. That was how much he valued Jesus. So when it says that the Father will honor him, this is answering a question Am I enough? What's my life worth? What's my value? Am I worthy? How many, how many of you want to know? How, let, me, let me ask it this way. How many of you like to receive like a, an encouragement and a well done? Okay, that's like everybody, right? Like how many of you like air? Okay, like so, but how many of you, like me, can struggle with feelings of insecurity and fear if you don't get that? okay. Uh, This is not a, please come tell me lots of nice things after the sermon is done, please. But I'm just telling you like there's things in my heart where like maybe I didn't get as many, hey, great sermon pastor or whatever. And I go home and I feel like, oh, the, the enemy wants to use that to make me question my worth. But friends, let me tell you, not on my own authority, but on the authority of Jesus Christ himself. If you are laboring unto the Lord, even your meager efforts are honored by God and you can rest you can put your head on your pillow at night and you can know that your value is incredibly high because God says it is it's not based on how much you did or or how hard you worked or all those efforts it's the fact that the efforts you did were united to Christ you're in Christ so any act that you do any work that you do God sees God honors and you are enough Praise God for that truth. How much more could God prove it to us than by giving us his son, Peter, another one of the apostles. He writes this in 1 Peter 1. He says, you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, eh, not with perishable, worthless things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without any blemish, Or any spot. How much did God pay for you? The blood of his son. His perfect son. Am I enough? Have I done enough? Have I worked hard enough? Jesus is still crying out from the cross. It's finished. Rest in me. Know your worth and know your value in me this is where we've landed, this is where we've ended up. It's it's this. Because Jesus loves us, because he accepts us, and because he calls us worthy, we got everything we need. We're free to go give our lives away for him. How freeing is that? How? I wish that I could see more people who are just stuck in the the rat race, right? The American dream. Grasping, taking, needing, wanting, always insecure. Am I enough? Do I have enough? Have I done enough? To just know that the cross of Jesus says, you're loved, you're accepted in, your value and your worth come from him. So now you're free to just spend your life. Pour it out. People are gonna think you hate your life but you know the truth. You have eternal life. Now, I say this to you, and I want to begin to wrap this up by talking about this idea of vocation. You have a vocation, and I do not mean your nine-to-five job. When I say that you have a vocation, I need you to to hear me. What I mean is you have a calling. Calling. We use the word vocation to mean our nine to five job, but I mean it in the way it originally meant your vocation, like vocalization. You've been called. You've been called. You have been called into service of Jesus. And, And let me say it this way. Every Christian has a vocation, has a calling. Every Christian has a few different types of vocation or calling. The first one is simply this. You've been called into salvation. You didn't sneak in. You didn't get in through some side door. You were called by God. How awesome is that? Number three, I'll skip to the third one. You have daily callings, daily tasks, daily needs. Some of you moms know what I'm talking about when your kid from the other room goes, mom, you've been called, okay? You have been summoned. You've been called into something. Your boss does it. Your spouse does it. The people in your life who have needs that are depending on you, they all do it. What I'm talking about though specifically here today is what I'm listing is this number two vocation or calling. You have a purpose, You have a purpose. You have a unique vocation, a unique calling, a unique way that you are called by God to pour your life out in the service of others. Lest you misunderstand me, I am not saying that you need to quit your job and start applying and putting your resume at churches in order to fulfill your vocation. I am not saying you need to sell all your possessions and move overseas and start you know, working for a mission organization. The vast majority of Christians will never work for a church. And by the way, that's not like some promised land. If you would like to know about the problems that we who work for the church have, I would be happy to meet with you over a cup of tea or something uh, that's mellow and soothing and we'll all fill you in on all that but regardless of what you do with your nine to five job you have a calling. The problem is for us is sometimes we have a hard time connecting our calling to the things that we do day in and day out. You're going to go to work. You're going to go to school. You're going to meet with people in your neighborhood for a PTA or you're going to help a neighbor, move a couch, or you're gonna, whatever you're gonna do, in every single thing that you do, there's this thread of vocation that runs through all of it. Why, answer it this way, why were you put on earth? How are you gonna uniquely pour your life out, spend your life? I, I, I cannot say for me that I've got, you know, 100% clarity, or I've arrived at being able to articulate this, but it's something like this for me. I'll tell you what it's kind of like for me. My vocation, God, God gave me a lot of, um, Enthusiasm. And God has asked me to use that enthusiasm to help other people find their purpose, their calling, and what they're supposed to do, and to get them excited, particularly in the suburbs, that there's more to live for than what just got added to Netflix. That's my purpose. And you know what? If I suddenly stopped working for the church, I I wasn't employed by the church nine to five, I'm still going to do that. I'm still going to help get people excited about seeing the kingdom of god come to earth as it is in heaven. What's your purpose? What's your vocation? What has god called you to pour your life out? Let me just say this. You every every single christian has something to contribute. Maybe you don't have complete clarity on your on your purpose, your calling. Maybe you need to just start taking some steps forward and trying some things, let people speak into your life. Maybe you stumble on something like, ooh, that was really good. And and I can do that when I'm at work and I can do that when I'm at home. And and this is what God's created me to do. But maybe just start by giving. Start by, by doing something. You have something to give, you have time. Hey, listen to me. You have time. One of the biggest lies that we in the United States of America buy into is I don't have any time. That's Bubkiss." I've never used that word before in my life. You have time. You're in charge of your time. You're not a slave to time. You have, by the way, you have eternal life. So you've got time. Okay? You have time. Take, take charge of it. You direct it. Don't be a slave to, to time. Oh, I just don't have any time. You do. You have, t- you have treasure. Some, you have money. Some of you have a lot of money. You need to give it away in such a way that if your financial advisor saw it, they'd be like, are you crazy? Do you hate having money? No, I love having life. Maybe you don't have a lot of money. Maybe you have something else. Maybe you've got a talent, an ability. Maybe you have a a life experience that somebody else doesn't have and they need you. That person needs you. You were uniquely given Start giving some stuff away. That's all I'm saying. Let God direct your steps, but you put one foot in front of the other. Let me get really practical for a moment. Let me just, I'm, I'm gonna say these things and I don't want you to hear these as like directives, but just sometimes it's hard to even know where to begin. Okay, let's just start with the personal level you don't need the church, you don't need uh, an organization, you don't need anything to do this, you can just say who is someone that I can invest in? Who's this? Who's a person I can meet with? Man, I, I they seemed a little bit down last. Hey, you want to meet up, get a cup of coffee? Can I just talk to you, see what's going on? You don't need, there. you literally don't need anybody else to be able to do that. You can just invest in somebody. Who could you take under your wing? Who's God put in your life that you could invest in? Okay, what about the church? How could we invest in the church? That's part of it. Church goes really bad when they say all of this, all of this pouring your life out happens in the church, okay? But some of your life should be poured out here in the church. I'll just give you a couple things. We got serve teams galore. Uh, lots of people give lots of time to help make Sunday services happy. Are you thankful for that? I am. I'm really thankful for them. They come in the morning, they come early, they stay late. We've got teams that could use your help. We need people to help stick around afterwards and clean up all this stuff and put it in a trailer. Kids ministry is always looking for more people who want to disciple and love our children. You know what you could do? You could give of your finances in an intentional way. Let me, just super practical. You know something that you could do that'd be really helpful to uh, people on our financial accountability team like Dale and Alejandro and these volunteers who kind of help set our budget? Set up recurring giving. Go on the website, Cornelia, can I get your approval as a member of the financial team? Okay, Cornelia says to set up recurring giving. And then the budget, you know, church is like, uh, uh, like, seasons, even today, even today. I, I want you people to know, dear 11 a.m. service, that I chastised the 9 a.m. service. I chastised those people who would be here at the 11 o'clock service, but went to the 9 because they're going to go watch the Seahawks, those sinners. You are the ones who really love Jesus. I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> but I'm just saying, on any given week, you know, here, there, gone, weather's bad, weather's nice. Can't go to church, weather's bad. Can't go to church, weather's. I don't know what people are thinking, but be faithful. How about in your community? Are you involved in your kid's school? Are you involved in various things in your neighborhood? I, I can give you just a few examples. In our community, there's a member of our church who hosts a foster care support group where the parents get together and, and they're doing a hard work of, of bringing extra kids into their home. And for two hours, it's great for them to be able to have just some grown-up time to be able to talk and be able to share. You could serve them by watching the kids. Oh, there's Danielle right there. Yeah. Um, would that be helpful? Okay, so there's an opportunity, right? How should I pour my life out? I don't, we've got... Pregnancy Resource Center up in Everett. They're one of our ministry partners. You could go with Pastor Kyle on one of his uh, homeless outreach things that he's been starting to do more regularly. I mean, let's be honest. If you're with Pastor Kyle, every day is kind of a homeless outreach with that guy because he's just got a gift. I, I don't, I'm, again, I'm not being prescriptive. I'm just offering you. like This is what it looks like to pour your life out. Or go to the nations. Maybe it's, I, I'm not called to go internationally, but I want to give some financial support. Maybe, maybe you need to go to that Mexico interest meeting that, that Deacon Shelley was talking about a little bit ago. I don't know what it's going to specifically look like, but you've got a life to give. And Jesus says you're going to find your life by giving it away. Find your life by giving it away. What if we were so countercultural here in the North Seattle suburbs, where the norm and the standard is to get and to grasp and to hold and to hoard. We were people of the way of Jesus. And we said, we're gonna just spend our lives in such a way that people think we hate it. (laughs) And might I remind you, this is all because the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, as we close, I'd like to lead us through a responsive prayer and it's a prayer based on this passage from John 12. And it talks about giving our lives away. And then I'll read the, the, the first part and then you guys can respond by saying, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again as a way of reminding ourselves, this is why we can give our lives away. Can we do this together, church family? All right. God, your word declares that the life that is laid down in faith will be raised and produce a great harvest This we celebrate as we proclaim, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We remember and praise you for the saints and martyrs of this and every age. Their lives like seeds dropped to the ground, yet their witness has borne fruit and enables us to say, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We pray for your church throughout the world and for that part to which we belong, that it may be ready to spend and be spent in your service, that the love of self preservation may be set aside, that the deaths you demand of it may be embraced joyfully, and that through it and that through all it may proclaim Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Our lives and all that we count important, we surrender to your will and purpose. For we cannot know the glory of Christ's resurrection if we do not have the fellowship of sufferings. We cannot expect to gather the kingdom's harvest if we do not sow the kingdom's seed. In us and through us, may your spirit proclaim, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. In a moment, I'm going to invite Pastor Doug to come and lead us in communion. We'll invite our younger students class to join us. Let's pray together. God, we we want to not hold on to our lives with such a tight grip. Jesus, you've given us eternal life. You've given us forgiveness and you've given us cleansing. God, would you help us to know that truth? We're accepted by you. We're not rejected. We're invited in. Our lives have value and purpose and meaning because if you help us to truly believe that and to give our lives away for you and your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen.
2: Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Great word today. Now we're going to transition from the sermon to communion. Um, You can go ahead and dig out your elements of communion. If you miss some, I've got a couple under here, or you can go out by the doors and, and pick one up. I'll go ahead and read from 1 Corinthians here. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus doesn't want us to forget. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Again, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus' body was broken for us. Taking of the bread reminds us that we are no longer slaves to sin. I know sometimes I don't feel that way. I feel like I am a slave to sin, but that's not true. Go to God. Jesus' blood was shed for us. Taking the juice reminds us of the great sacrifice for our sins and how dreadful and serious our sin is in the presence of a holy God. Continuing on, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Many people say, get a life. Jesus tells us how to get a life. Not by asserting yourself. Not by pampering yourself. Not by changing yourself. But by dying to self. In a moment the band will sing, but before you take communion pause. Examine yourself. Pray. Pray with the one next to you. Confess. Repent. And then take in the elements as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for you. Father, we are so grateful that you gave your only son that we might have relationship with you. Your love is overwhelming to even think that we are worthy of Jesus' blood. So I pray now that as we take in these elements that you would bring to mind anything that we need to confess, to repent, perhaps to the person next to us. And then may we, in great joy and victory, may we partake of the body of Christ and the blood. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.